Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young, and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. The case that I'm covering in this episode is one that reminded me exactly why I started my podcast, because the criminal justice system can be an absolute dumpster fire, where victims and their families are left without any sort of answer or any semblance of justice. 23-year-old Taylor McAllister was murdered in 2016, and her killer or killers have gotten away with it so far. She was left like a piece of trash in an alleyway, beaten and naked by three absolute monsters who had no regard for her life or her dignity. And while it has always been clear that she was murdered and who was responsible for her death, there has been no justice. Taylor's name has been completely trashed by her assailant and in the court of public opinion, while her killer received only a slap on the wrist and is now a free man today. 
It's not the way that this is supposed to work. So tonight, I'm talking about Taylor, who was a daughter and a mother and a human being that did not deserve what happened to her. Before we dive into tonight's case, I'm so thankful for our sponsor, the All Tricks No Treats podcast. As you can imagine, it can be really difficult finding sponsors to keep the show alive when we talk about really complicated topics like we do here. All Tricks No Treats is a brand new podcast hosted by the married couple Chris and Brianna. Once you're done listening to the heavy content that we talk about here, give All Tricks No Treats a listen for a nice little palate cleanser and a laugh. Together, they cover topics about parenting tips and tricks, dating do's and don'ts, and single life advice, so there's really something for everyone to enjoy. They fully admit that while they do have three kids of their own, they're not expert parents, and they just want to tell their crazy stories and how they survive on the daily. You can find All Tricks, No Treats on Spotify and YouTube, and I will also include their links in my show notes, so go check it out. All right, let's jump in, and we'll start with a little bit about who Taylor McAllister was. Born in Melbourne, Florida on July 21st, 1994, Taylor was the daughter of Bill and Leslie McAllister, and she was one of five children. She was the second oldest of the McAllister children. She graduated from Tarpon Springs High School, and she was known to love the beach, being out on the boat watching the dolphins, and just spending time with her family. She also had a passion for music, and she loved to sing and play the guitar, which she taught herself when she was just 14 years old. She would spend hours learning different tunes and would often record herself singing covers of some of her favorite songs, and then she would upload them to YouTube. She had an absolutely beautiful voice. Knocked on your door with heart in my hand To ask you a question Cause I know that you're an old-fashioned man she was just a beautiful person inside and out. She was this blonde, bubbly, young woman with a passion for life. She was someone who truly, honestly got along with everyone that she met. And for this reason, in her short 22 years on this earth, she made a big impact on those around her. But it wasn't all sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows. She would battle a very serious pill addiction. Her parents couldn't point to any one event that may have led to her addiction. There doesn't appear to be any sort of traumatic situation that may have caused her to take a turn down this path. When she was around 18 years old, she began doing as many teenagers do, and she started pushing her limits. She wasn't big into partying or drinking, but she was open to trying new things. And unfortunately, one of those things was pain pills. At that point in her life, in her later teens, she wasn't addicted by any means, but she did enjoy how the pills would make her feel. Taylor began waitressing at a Japanese restaurant, and she met a man named Joshua Wilvert, who was in the Coast Guard. After only a few months of dating, the pair decided to get married, and it's been reported that Joshua had a drug addiction of his own, and it's when they began living together as a married couple that Taylor's drug addiction really began to spiral. They would get into a lot of harder drugs together, and they were just really encouraging each other's bad habits. It wasn't long before Taylor became pregnant with twin baby girls. 
Joshua was deployed as part of his military service, and Taylor's parents invited her to come live with them so that they could take care of her during her pregnancy. And she did. They would take her to all of her appointments, and she actually got clean off of the drugs. She would give birth to twin baby girls, Charlie Ann and Madison Mae McAllister. Even though she was still very much a baby herself at only 22 years old, Taylor was an absolutely doting mother. She loved her daughters very much. What's really sad, though, is that Taylor had to deliver the babies via a C-section, and after her delivery, her doctor prescribed her Percocet for her pain, which seems a little excessive to me. I've had two C-sections, and I think I was sent home with some extra-strength Tylenol. But this is a huge problem in our society, with doctors over-prescribing pain medication. Taylor blew through her pain meds quickly, and she was calling her doctor for more. Things really went downhill from here. She began using heroin and Dilaudid, and just spiraling completely out of control. And again, this is a big reason why there is an opioid epidemic in the States and in Canada as well. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, in the late 1990s, pharmaceutical companies reassured the medical community that patients would not become addicted to opioid pain relievers, and healthcare providers began to prescribe them at a greater rate. Well, increased prescription of opioid medications led to widespread misuse of both prescription and non-prescription opioids, and then it became clear that those medications could indeed be highly addictive. In 2017, HHS declared a public health emergency with regards to the opioid epidemic, and Taylor, well, she was just a victim of this crisis. She began hanging out with other addicts who could help support her habit. The bubbly, outgoing young lady that her friends and family knew and loved so much, she completely changed. She was acting like a different person because of her substance abuse. And unfortunately, because she was an adult, there was nothing that her parents could really do for her. They tried to support her, and they tried to get her help. But at 22 years old, Taylor was free to do whatever she wanted to and to make her own decisions, even if those decisions would lead to her losing her life. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go 
and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factor's chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Let's talk about the events that happened on December 22nd, 2016, when Taylor's body would be found in an unpaved alley full of tall grass. She was left there, completely naked from the waist down, with her legs sprawled open and her gray shirt pulled up above her breasts. She was completely dehumanized. Her body was found in terrible shape. She had bruises all over her body, including claw marks on her neck scrapes and cuts in her mouth and she had been run over with a car there were actually tire marks on her arms and legs during the investigation it was noted that there was dna found underneath her fingernails as well as touch dna something like skin cells that were found on her neck there were also finger marks found on her neck, really bad petechial hemorrhaging, which is when the eyes get really red, and it's often a sign that it's associated with being strangled. Combined with the marks on her neck, the coroner concluded that Taylor died from asphyxiation and her manner of death was homicide. In addition to the brutality that Taylor's body was subjected to at the hands of another, she was really sick because of her addiction. But 
Her death was not attributed to drug use. Her injuries showed that someone had inflicted violence upon her. As you can imagine, Taylor's parents were beyond devastated to hear of what happened to their daughter. They used to be a very close family, but recently they hadn't been in touch with Taylor as much. As I mentioned, Taylor became addicted to hard drugs shortly after delivering her twins, and she began to hang out with other addicts. She didn't have a job, and she didn't have any money to acquire drugs, so earlier that year, it's reported that she began looking online for a quote-unquote sugar daddy, someone with money who could supply her with what she felt like she desperately needed. And she found someone a 52-year-old man named Robert Butler III, who went by the name Bert, and he is the son of Robert Butler Jr., the late founder of Bob's Carpet and Flooring. Bert was somewhat of a trust fund kid, though now an old man. He was wealthy, but it was through family money. And even with every opportunity in the world to make something of himself and contribute to society in a positive way, He was a seedy individual. In the early 1990s, he was convicted of aggravated assault with a firearm, and beyond that, he had multiple charges of drug possession. But he always seemed to be let off with a simple slap on the wrist, likely due to his wealthy family and the connections that they had in the community. So of course, he took advantage of this situation and Taylor's addiction, He knew that he could supply her with the drugs in exchange for her company, so three months before Taylor's death, he moved her into his home in Palm Harbor. With this information in hand, Bert would be near the top of the suspect list that the police had. When they questioned him, the police noted that he had fresh scratches on his face, his forehead, the bridge of his nose, as well as to his arms. But still, Bert refused to acknowledge that Taylor had been living there and that they were in a relationship. He played it off like Taylor was just some sex worker that he'd see every so often, and he had no idea what happened to her. And unfortunately, police didn't believe that they had reason to detain him any further. So after that interview, he was released, which allowed him the opportunity to destroy any evidence that he may have that connected him to Taylor. They would come back to visit him to get a DNA sample later. And guess what? His DNA was a match for the DNA found under Taylor's fingernails, as well as the touch DNA on her neck, which would have been DNA-like flakes of skin. But police still don't make an arrest. Instead, they say that the DNA could have been easily transferred between the pair as they had lived together. And then I'm like, what's the point of even giving... DNA or testing DNA if you're not going to acknowledge that there's a connection there. For whatever reason, which is still very much unclear to me, police did not arrest Robert Butler, and instead they labeled it a cold case, asking the public for any tips as to what may have happened to Taylor. Meanwhile, Taylor's family received pressure from the public to just let it go, because according to many people, Taylor was just a junkie who probably died from an overdose. It would take a year almost to the day from when Taylor's body was found for police to make an arrest. Taylor's family believes that this has to do with corruption, money, and connections in the system. Butler was a wealthy man. He knew people in law enforcement. And honestly, I can't think of any other reason for them to not make an arrest. It's nonsensical. 
At this point, Taylor's autopsy has revealed that she died from asphyxiation and the manner of death was homicide. She was also run over by a car. DNA under her nails and on her neck had been confirmed to match Robert Butler, and she was living with that guy at the time that she turned up deceased. And yet, they sit on the entire case for a full year, which gave the perpetrators time to destroy evidence and to put their stories together. When Burt was arrested a year later in connection with Taylor's death, there was a new version of events that involved two of his acquaintances, and here's what they say happened. On December 21st, 2016, the day that Taylor died, Burt said that he found her in his bed in a terrible state. She was just lying there, groaning in pain, wearing only a t-shirt, and she had urinated on the bed. He said that Taylor had been sick for the last few days, but that her condition had gotten far worse that day. He called a man by the name of Deontay Baker, who is rumored to be his live-in drug dealer. Deontay arrived at the home with another man named Karan Archer, and he asked the men to take her to the hospital. Now, according to Bert, he didn't want to call an ambulance because there were illegal drugs and weapons in the home. Deontay and Karan wrapped Taylor in the bedsheet. They didn't bother to put any other clothing on her, and they left her naked from the waist down. Then they loaded Taylor into the back seat of their truck, and along with two other men, Desmond Washington and another man who has never been named, they drove around, supposedly looking for a hospital to take her to. But they didn't take her to any hospital, and in fact, according to the route that they had reportedly taken, they had passed several facilities that they could have brought her to. And this was pivotal time spent just driving around aimlessly when they could have gotten help for Taylor. Unfortunately, she didn't get the help that she needed, and instead, she would pass away in the back seat of the truck. Now, when the men saw that Taylor was now deceased, they called Bert to see what they should do next, and reportedly, he told them not to bring her back to the house, but instead just to, quote-unquote, take care of it. According to the men, Bert told them that they should just get rid of her body somewhere where no one would find her. At that point, they considered burying her as they drove around for 25 more miles or so, but in the end, they decided to drop her body in an alley without the bedsheet that she had been wrapped up in, so now she was just completely exposed. And then, just for good measure, to ensure that she was actually dead, they drove over her body before speeding away. Of course, Deontay would later say that they didn't mean to drive over her body, but they had unloaded her out of the truck and had to speed out of there quickly. He claims that that was just an accident. Then, they returned back to Bert's house to get rid of any evidence of Taylor, including burning their clothing, cleaning up the house and the room that Taylor was staying in, and getting rid of all of Taylor's belongings. All of the men involved maintained that Taylor died of a drug overdose, that they had no hand in her death. Deontay would say that they never brought her to the hospital because this was a half-naked white woman and they were four black men. They didn't want to be burned at the stake for this. As for Bert, this wealthy white man, well, he would put the whole thing on the four African-American men that he called to do his dirty work. 
He basically wiped his hands clean of everything, maintaining that he called them up to take her to the hospital and whatever happened after that, well, he just didn't know. Listen to Bert himself try to explain his version of what happened to Taylor. So you were, you thought she was going through withdrawal, so you called Deontay. Well, no, no, they were over here, and I said, hey, come check it out. I said, what do I do? And uh-huh. I called the cops. Right. And uh, whatever, what is, you know, what do we do? He thought it was best to take her to the hospital instead of calling. So they were taking her to the hospital. Yeah. So she was alive when she left here. Yes. Okay. Where was she when, when? Back in the room. In the bedroom? Yeah. In your bed, right? Yeah. When they're deciding to take her to the hospital, uh, what vehicle did they use? Your truck? Yeah. Who brought her out to the truck? Do you remember? Huh? you, I can tell you right now. Okay. So they leave for the hospital. And what happens after that? They come back and said that she passed. They came back, told you she passed. Did they tell you where they put her or what happened to her? They said they dropped her off somewhere. Now, I wasn't clear at that point. Uh huh. It was the hospital or what? See, so you didn't find out till they got back. That right. they dumped her? Well, it was even probably after that because I just assumed that it was in the <laughs> hospital and it came out a little bit later. Why didn't you call the cops? Or call the ambulance? You know, I didn't know what was going on. These guys said they were going to take the hospital. So, right. I mean, uh, problem solved. Problem solved. What, uh, what about her stuff that she had here? She brought some stuff here early on. She bought a truck one day, took it somewhere. And that's right. all I can tell you. I didn't go with her. Still, you would think that with all of the evidence and all of the details, even the stories that they were telling, whether factual or not, that someone would be charged with Taylor's murder. Her autopsy literally says that Taylor died of asphyxiation and that it was a homicide. These were the last people to see her alive, but it was not to be. No murder charges, no manslaughter charges. Robert Butler III would plead guilty to failing to report a death, which does not mean that he pleads guilty to killing her, only that he didn't tell anyone that she had died. He was sentenced to just a year in prison, but he only had to serve eight months of that. Bert's arrest would spark a police investigation into his more personal affairs, and so he would spend a bit more time in prison after being convicted of money laundering, but it had nothing to do with Taylor's death. Deontay Baker was also only convicted of failure to report a death, and he was given a year, which he served concurrently with jail time that he was already facing due to federal drug charges. So really, he didn't get any additional time for Taylor's death. Kieran Archer was only convicted of failure to report a death as well. He was offered six months, but he served just four and the fifth man involved was never named. I guess the saying of snitches get stitches held true in his case, so he never faced any charges or served any time. Still, to this day, no one has ever been charged with Taylor's murder. Make it make sense. Drugs in Taylor's system did not kill her. This has been confirmed in her autopsy. She was killed by another human being who decided to wrap their hands around her neck and strangle her to death. And if not Robert Butler III, whose DNA was found on her neck and underneath her fingernails, then who did it? And even with the mountain of evidence, police have labeled this still to be a cold case. Even though the autopsy said that Taylor McAllister was killed, they say that they don't know where or when she died or who was responsible and if there was actually intent to kill. Chief Assistant State Attorney Bruce Bartlett said, quote, 
To charge somebody with a murder, I've got to have evidence that the person committed the murder. There's a lot of suspicion, a lot of finger pointing. I've got to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury down the road. But there haven't even been any charges related to what they did to her body after she died either. They dumped her half-naked body in an alley and then they drove over her with their vehicle. Taylor was more than just a drug addict. She was a daughter, a sister, a mother, and her life had value. It's clear from the evidence and the autopsy report that someone murdered Taylor McAllister, and yet no one has been charged for doing so. Taylor's family want justice for their daughter, which is why I'm sharing her story. You can find more information on the Justice for Taylor Facebook group, and I'll make sure to link that in my show notes. On the group, they have all of the ways that you can continue to help spread the word and push for justice for Taylor. That's it for me tonight. I would like to once again thank the sponsor of tonight's case, All Tricks, No Treats, a new podcast that's available on Spotify and YouTube. Have a listen for some fun and entertaining parenting stories as told by married couple Chris and Brianna. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm here on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on all of the cases that I cover, join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Serial Napper. I also post two additional Patreon-only episodes over on my Patreon each and every month, so go check it out. Until next time... Don't be a Dahmer. Bye.